Hello, welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Father Peter Muzzin. And I am Scott Powell. It really looked like you were debating whether to sing that or not. <laughs> and you chose the spoken word. I chose the spoken word. But yeah, word. I could see the, the struggle in your mind. I, I, I it was it. almost sing-songy, but then... Yeah, well, this is the thing is that I've had two cups of coffee. It's early in the morning. I've only had two cups of coffee, which by this time of day is unheard of for me. Which maybe you, that's why I'm struggling. You know, my my it's only really a cup and a half. My sprinkler system measures the amount of with some sort of complicated algorithm. It measures the amount of uh, of moisture in the soil according to the roots, and so like the tip of the roots is zero, and then at the soil level, if it's there, then it's a hundred percent. So then you have percentages. I need some sort of gauge like that for my coffee intake. Yeah, so is that what you're saying yes, it's, it's brilliant. Two, two cups of coffee at this point. I mean, we're only talking about like maybe thirty five percent saturation. Honestly, with the way this morning's gone, it's one of those things where I don't even know if I've gotten through a full cup. There's been a few cups going on, mm. but I haven't really gotten more than a third out of any of them. So you're like at twenty five percent saturation. Yeah, honestly. Whereas I'm like at seventy five. Yeah. Yeah, like two cups of coffee. I drink one cup of coffee. You're using my favorite mug. You the, well, you gave me that mug. I know. My favorite mug that I gave you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I've given you a couple of different mugs. <laughs> do you know how much that makes me? Like, I do. Like, th- that, is the, that is the quintessence <laughs> of great gift giving. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, it is. You know, like, I only want to give gifts that I would want to get. Yeah, that's exactly that's it. That's key. Well, we are approaching the 17th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Coming in hot. Coming in hot. I've got some weird thoughts about today. Oh. How about these readings? Okay. So we'll, we'll get there in a second. Well, our first reading today is from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 5, skipping to 7, then to 12. It's a strange verse, that verse 6 that was skipped. It's not a strange verse. It's just strange that we skipped. <laughs> uh, our second... Our responsorial psalm is Psalm 119, verse 57, 72, then 76 through 77, 127 and 128, and then 129 through 30. That's really piecemeal <laughs> it together. Why didn't they just say 127 to 130? Because like 27, 28, 29, Because I think 30. it's broken up in the stanzas. They're telling you what, what each of the stanzas of after the responsorial are. Oh, the Tony stanzas? <laughs> Tony Danzas? <laughs> oh. Uh. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 30. What happened to Tony Danza, by the way? I mean, who is the boss Dude, these days? Tony Danza is a farmer. I th- <laughs> no, I, I think I got... Is I he hanging out with Charles in charge on I, a farm someplace? I literally got hit by clickbait. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you like read the news article, and at the bottom, it's like it's like, um, you know, where is Tony Danza now? It was it was who like, is the boss? Five five Hollywood stars who have normal jobs now. That was, <laughs> and I just like I couldn't resist clicking oh, on it. The guy from Belvedere is working at a TCBY. Yeah, dude. Gary Coleman is a security officer. No, that's I mean right. like, dude, it's like crazy. You're just like, oh, times are hard. Times are hard. Maybe that's what they want. Just want to be out of the spotlight. Hey, we got to get on okay. with this. Our gospel is coming from Matthew 13, verses 44 through 52. Okay, awesome. Okay. Well, now that we all have normal jobs. Speaking uh, of wisdom. Speaking of wisdom, First Kings, like, dude, Solomon? Okay, who, who is Solomon? Okay, well, that's the question. Because what we have what we have here in this little passage, this is I think this is probably one of the most famous passages in the Bible. That which is pretty safe to say, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because Solomon, his his request, like yeah. where where the Lord like totally gives him the high five and like like he makes him the captain of the team. Captain, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like like basically Solomon like 
he he wins. Like you know what it is? It's it's like the Charlie Bucket moment of the scriptures. Is that the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? Yeah, too? dude. Because like it's yeah, at I the end. Things. I can pull things out too. Yeah, yeah, dude. It's at the very end when when he goes up and and like in the great glass elevator. And that well, no, no. Before that, like Willie's in the office. Everything's in half. And and Charlie just like goes and and he like recogs, like Slugworth is waiting for getting the the gobstopper and he goes and he's like here you go Mr Wonka and he puts the gobstopper on the desk and and then he reaches over and he puts his hand on the gobstopper and he realizes that he that he that Charlie Bucket was the man and it was in that moment that he inherited everything he got the whole thing because he had generosity because he did not choose selfishness and self-seeking and getting $10,000 from Slugworth and so because he chose rightly he got everything so that's what i think about when i think about Solomon you're half tr- i think that's half true just like his office what just like Willy Wonka's <laughs> office oh <laughs> i think it's Solomon's <laughs> i was like what um, yeah, you're ha- uh, well, okay. Okay, yes, I'm yeah, half you're, right. You're, here, here's what I want to unpack. Here's the thing, because that's that's a beautiful meditation on this, and that's <laughs> no, it is. That sounded condescending. <laughs> that totally was condescending. Well, but here's that's the thing. Okay. What, what do people know about Solomon? He was wise because of this moment, right? What you said. He chose rightly. God's so the context is he's uh, recently it was, become it was, king. It was just like um, in uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Okay. <laughs> He chose right, uh, rightly. You have chosen wisely. Well, wisely. Okay. Um, so he's recently become king. He's probably a teenager at this point. He's not very old. His father, David. You remember that was that that whole intrigue around uh, when David was dying. His son Absalom was trying to take the throne, even though it was promised to Solomon, and Solomon had to ride his donkey. And remember, there was that whole big thing. So it hasn't been a super easy road to the kingship, but now no. he's king. Yep. Um, he's again, he's pretty young, and he's kind of moving forward. And the Lord's like, okay, you're about you're, you're becoming king now. I want to build you up. You're actually he's going to be the one who's going to build the temple. Remember, it was David who conceived of the temple, the place where God would dwell with their people for all times. Uh, and Solomon, who actually builds it. And so here at the beginning of his reign, God's like, all right, ask of me what you will. I want to make you a great king. I want to do things through you. So ask something of me. And he asks, yeah, not for riches, but for wisdom. Or or actually, what, he, what it says, this is sort of interesting. Let me just read this really quick. He says his answer is, oh, Lord, my God, you have made me your servant king to succeed my father, David. I'm a mere youth. I don't know how to act all the time. I'm really young. I've never been a king before. I want to serve you in the midst of the people you have chosen, a people so so vast that it cannot be numbered or counted. So give your servant, therefore, what our says is an understanding heart. That's not actually what the Hebrew says. It actually says a listening heart, which is a much more beautiful translation because we, we write it off as just wisdom. We don't write it off as wisdom is an important thing, but an understanding heart and a listening heart to me are two kind of different things. He's not simply asking for understanding. Help me to know stuff. Help me to be able to be wise. He's saying, let me listen. I mean, what is the biblical mandate? What, what's the most important prayer that the Jewish people have? It Shema is the Shema. Is, Shema Israel. Hear, listen. It's the constant refrain. What does God want of his people? For them to listen. And so why is God so pleased with Solomon's response to his request? It's because he says, I want to listen. I want to do what you've asked. Give me a listening heart, his levav, right? And for the Hebrews, the heart is not just the place of our emotions. It's the place of our will, our decision making. So give me a will that is listening and that discerns rightly what you want. Mm. Yeah, it's really, it's really beautiful. I mean, it seems like a nuance, but it's an important point, I think. Well, it's, well that's actually the essence of 
of like I am always talking about my primary the primary virtue I think is reverence and reverence yeah. is allowing being to reveal itself like like so the one who listens I mean we've been just going through all these last weeks all these parables uh, where Jesus says those who have ears ought to hear yeah. like like if you can listen if you can hear listen is really what he's saying absolutely yeah absolutely and and listening for the Hebrews always implied obeying as well to hear and hear like you know if i if i if i ask my children to you know take out the trash have they heard me i mean how do i know that they have actually heard me and heard me it's if they take out the trash if they do what i've asked like you can hear something and then not do it but the lord is asking for there's an obedience wrapped I mean, up in this. and we even use it in language you say why are you not listening to me yeah absolutely yeah absolutely listen to me scott so here's the thing. Listen, listen, Father Peter. Shema, Shema. Shema. <laughs> um, and then the Lord says, yeah, because you've done this and you've not asked for riches or the death of your enemy or all those things. <laughs> I'm going to give them to you anyway. Now, here's the thing. Solomon's life. Oh, Solomon's life. What, how, do I, how do I encapsulate all that's, all that's in my heart right now? Dude, well, Solomon's he, he, life is a mess. He's a total mess. He, get, he, he does the right action at the beginning, but things get weird. The thing about Solomon is we don't have many... De- for, for as famous as Solomon is, and as much as we know about his wisdom and his meeting with the Queen of Sheba, and you know all these little things that we know, we don't know much about his life. The There's de- actually the radio de- silence for yeah. about 40 years. Yeah. Where we're like, we know the very beginning. And we kind of know the end because he literally goes crazy at the end of his life and oh. ends horribly. He has a horrible end. I mean, here's the thing. He comes out of a terrible situation. His, his life itself. Do you know whose mother? Bathsheba. Yeah. And who's Bathsheba? The one Uriah's uh, old um, wife, widow. Yeah, Uriah's Uriah. widow. So the, the moment where David, David's profound sin where he doesn't go off to war like he's supposed to, where he sends somebody else in his place, where he's lounging around on the on his couch on the deck, sees a woman bathing, has an affair with her, gets her pregnant, kills her husband to cover up his tracks, all of that stuff, right? Um, then this is the second child after that first one whom yeah. was lo- who was lost. Yeah, and 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 it's, it's just such a... I don't know. I was kind of just reading the backstory of Solomon and just being reminded of just how messy life is. And then, and then Bathsheba had to angle so that Absalom was not. I mean, like Absalom was a. It, well, I mean, tool. we did we did not want Absalom. Absalom was celebrating before the time, so Ab- Absalom was was presumptive in a whole other level. Absalom was the second or third of the sons of David who tried to stage a coup, and he was by far the worst of them. Yeah, he and, did everything his brothers did, but really crappily. And he had really long hair and got caught in a tree. <laughs> Classic Absalom. Classic Absalom. But, but sometimes I worry about my long hair because of Absalom. Been the tree. Well, yeah, that's fair. That's yeah. a fair worry. It would be a. It would not be a treat. But he's born out of this relationship that really wasn't supposed to have happened in the first place. In a certain sense, you know what I mean. This this sin that David committed, his attempt to try to make it right and take Bathsheba in as his wife, and then this other child that comes really right after the heartbreak of the child of the adultery happens, and then Solomon comes, and it's just you're just like wow, just your whole your whole being is just riddled with. With messiness, with complication, but complication, it, and it, not not that's bad. But did, isn't God that, works through that? Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. The whole is, thing is that like the the beauty of the message of His life is that that like I was thinking about this with Moses and his mom. So like Moses' mom, 
she like planned. She knew when um, uh, she knew when all of the pharaohs' uh, daughters and uh, maids were going to be out bathing in the river, and so she put Moses in the river right when they were doing it because she was paying attention. And then she strategized, went around to the front of the house so that when they looked for somebody yeah. to be able to take care of the child, she was right there. And yeah, then absolutely. And then and then you have Moses, who the way Moses did it is he like came along. And he he was he's now adopted. He's in it. He sees somebody who's like mistreating one of his kinsmen, right. and he kills him out of passion. Like he just like he kills him, and and it's wild because what's beautiful. I mean, I have a different take on that story. I know. I think you, we've talked about this. We have we? talked about this, but what Still, I'm what the, I'm the trying point remains. The point remains. What I'm trying to say is is that God used yes. both strategy right. and passion. Yes. I, Im, well, yes. Absolutely. Impulsiveness and strategy like and so so what, what what we're seeing is that god is so kind and he says no like even even in the midst of all of this i'm gonna pour out my blessing my will i'm gonna pour out all of these things even in the midst of these sinful generations yes and and i'm not gonna stop doing this was Absolutely. there a frog you, I, <laughs> yeah. I thought i heard a frog i believe so yeah, yeah, yeah. it was in the background yeah. um which i mean all of this i think not to get the cart before the horse, but this is where the gospel is going. This, I mean, honestly, Solomon is the last person who should have been king, right? Politically, legally, familially speaking. Mm. I mean, he's the child born out of the woman that the king had an adulterous affair with, right? I mean, he had other biological children, but you know, Solomon's the king. So, I mean, it's all these, these unexpected circumstances. Like, wait, that guy is the one who's going to be king? How, how interesting that God chose him. That's unexpected. But the thing about uh, Solomon's prayer for wisdom, for a listening heart, is that if you read on, God's so pleased with him, he says, I'm going to give you all these things as well. But the key comes in verse 14, and that's where he says, and if, and I underline this, look, I underlined it like five times in my Bible. Wow. Because it's so important. That's like for real. And we don't get this in our reading. We stop just short of this when God is so pleased and you're going to be so great and no one's going to equal you. And he says, and if. You walk in my ways and keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David did, then I'll lengthen your days and I'm going to bless you. But there's a very strong if you do this. Like, this is great. I'm glad you want a listening heart, Solomon. And I want to bless you and I want to give you all these things if you are actually faithful. Don't just be listeners of the word, but doers of the word. Absolutely. And And what we know about Solomon is in the next few chapters, you literally see Solomon's life unraveling. So what does Solomon want? Solomon wants to be a hearer of God's word. Bless you. A hearer of God's word. And actually, you know what? I want to kind of segue into the Psalms because the Psalms kind of paint the picture. Can I do that? Is that that cool? Yeah, yeah, man, absolutely. Because what the Psalm says is, Lord, I love your commands, which in a certain sense, that's what Solomon seems to be saying. Mm. Give me a listening heart. Well, what do they listen to? Well, what's implied is I want to listen to your word. Right. I want to hear what you speak to us. What do you, what do you speak to us? You speak to us your commands. You speak to us your word, which is the scriptures, which is you know how life in Israel is defined. If you want to be hearers of the word, then you have to read his commands and follow his covenants and live by those things, right? Yes. And the, the place where those things are housed par excellence, at least in the time of Solomon, is the book of Deuteronomy. It is the capstone for the, for the people of Israel in this time. That is the climb. That's where everything is consolidated, and that's where you learn all of it. And in chapter 17 of Deuteronomy, there's very specific instructions for the kings of Israel. So here's a king of Israel, the third one ever, saying, I want to be a hearer of your word. I want to love your commands, like Psalm 119 says. I want to love your commands. So if you love, what, what did you just say? 
don't be just be hearers, be doers, right? right? So if you love my words, if you want to love my commands, do my commands. So Deuteronomy 17 gives out these list of instructions for kings. And it actually says in the beginning of Deuteronomy 17, every king of Israel, one of his first tasks is to hand write the entire book of Deuteronomy by hand and keep it next to his throne so it's accessible at all times. That's one of your first tax, tasks so that you actually, you have to write it out so that you actually take this in to yourself. Wow. And what it says to the kings is that they're never to do three things. And I always call it the three W's, right? Don't acquire many, many wives. Don't acquire much wealth for yourself and don't acquire much weaponry, right? Wives, wealth, and weapons are the three W's that kings always want to watch out for. Because you don't want to have wives, a, lo- a lot of wives. You're supposed to have one, even though none of the, even David does has multiple wives, which it just shows the messiness of David's own life. So don't right. have multiple wives. Don't acquire a bunch of wealth for yourself. I mean, that's that's always going to lead to bad things. And number two, the weaponry. It's not that Israel is not allowed to defend herself. And actually, literally says war horses because they're not supposed to be the kind of nation that goes on the offensive. They're not supposed to conquer other nations. They can defend. They're a nation just like anybody else. But they're supposed to be one that shows the light of of not Jesus Christ yet, but the, the light of Yahweh to the world. So don't which, which be an offensive true, yeah. conquering yeah. people. So what do you see Solomon doing in the chapters just after this? You see him become amazingly, vastly wealthy. He actually says at one point he acquires 666 talents of gold. Ruh-roh. Which you're like, well, that doesn't sound good. So he has, to, he has to build storehouses for all of his wealth. Yes. Which is interesting. I mean, like, I think it's always worth talking about this. What what six is? Six is is, is yeah. That's important. Actually, it's like the, the it's the fullness of creation, but it's not into the rest. It's not into the covenant moment. Well, it all ties back to like you said, the days of creation. So, what's created fundamentally? Fundamentally, what's created on day six? Man, humans and animals, right? And so, what's been said? Because you you said it, but just to add another piece to it, what's been said before, and I like this phraseology is that we were created on the sixth day for the sake of the seventh day. Right. And it's the seventh day, which is the day that God rests, which is the covenant day, the day that we're supposed to enter into his rest and his communion and all that stuff. So whenever you see sevens in the Bible, it tends to be um, human beings in union with God, in covenant with God. Whenever you see sixes, it's all about us without God, left right. to our own devices, just about us. And in Hebrew, to have something show up three times, there's no superlatives in Hebrew. Good, better, and best. There's no good, better, and best. So if you want to do that, you simply multiply things. And good, you can't good. go... good. Well, it's when Jesus says, amen, amen, I say to you. He never throws it's a like triple amen. like he's shouting amen. it. No, but I wonder, I always wonder, did he actually say that? Or is it just the gospel writer, because he doesn't have words for it, Jesus says it really loud. Truly, truly. <laughs> he just says it one time, but to get the volume, he has to double it. I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah, but mean, when you see things thought. three times, it, you, you don't go beyond that. There's no more. Three is totality. So when you see 666, what is it? It's, it's, human. it's totally being oriented to this world, into the self. Yeah. It's, 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 it's actually losing the entirety of the telos of, the per, of personhood. Exactly right. It's, and so like... When we talk about a Satan, they're 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 just utterly selfish, and they're they're a, it's a total rejection of the destiny that they're called to. Absolutely, yeah. That's why it's the mark of the beast. It's not because of the devil's social security number or something. But right? it's, but, it's but isn't that funny that you said man and beast are built on this are made on the same day, oh. and so it's it's actually the, the uh, man becoming Whoa. totally beastly and becoming beastly. Ooh. Is is actually the reality of it because I mean that's what Aquinas would always say that that the more you become vicious the more you become animal. Wow, 
That's a good insight. That's where the Beastie Boys came from. But okay, so he <laughs> and then he, you know, he has tons and tons of wives. He has to build he has to build a massive palace to house all of his wives, which is what is it like twice as big as the temple is because he's got so many wives. Um, and the, then he has the story. I, I'm always reminded. Do you remember the movie or the the TV show Ducktales when we were kids? Yeah, dude. I always picture uh, Uncle Scrooge's money bin when they're swimming in it. Yeah, I, that's what Solomon had. He had like a <laughs> bunch of Uncle Scrooge's money bins that he swam around in, and he had these storehouses for all of his weaponry and his war horses. And so, so we literally you can trace his life and watch him doing exactly. So it, almost immediately after he says this prayer and God gives the ultimatum, if you are true to this, then I'll bless you. You see him being untrue to it. You see him being unfaithful. And it's, it's a shame that mo- all most people remember of Solomon is this prayer for wisdom. And then he has that great thing where he's going to cut the baby in half. And everyone's like, Argh. you know, this like, oh, I, he does this great act of wisdom. I shouldn't have just thrown that out there. You know what I'm talking about? No. Where the two women are fighting over this child. Whose baby is it? It's like a midwife and a mother. And they're arguing over whose child is it somebody's lying and Solomon is adjudicating this and he's like well let's cut the child in half and you get one half and you get the other half and the the true mother is like no that's horrible don't do that just give the child to her I would rather her have the child than see my child put to death Mm. and he's like you're obviously the mom because you're willing to sacrifice your to give away your child to save its life it's it, it comes right after this it's like this moment of of showing forth his wisdom and how this plays out but again immediately after that you see him begin to unravel and do everything god asked him not to do so it's really not about oh i have really good decision making ability i have really good wisdom i'm a really good lawyer and can you know adjudicate really interesting cases which is what we ascribe solomon's wisdom to that's not what it's about though he's not listening and doing god's word which is all wisdom really is. Can you have the ears and discernment to hear God's word and act upon it? Well, Solomon doesn't. He does the opposite. Mm. And so, yes, he gets really rich. He gets very powerful. There is death to a lot of his enemies, and things begin to spiral. Um, it's, it's such a mixed bag for his life, though, because at the same time, he's the one who builds the temple. And, you know, the ancient rabbis, this is interesting. The ancient rabbis said that it was Solomon who could build the temple, not David, because it was Solomon who had no blood on his hands. Solomon was the only king at that point who had never fought a battle. He mm. hadn't gone to war. He hadn't killed anybody. And so Solomon was able to build this house of shalom for the Holy One, for God, and for the, have the, the Ark of the Covenant housed because he was the only king who didn't have blood on his hands. Wow, that's cool. And then his life spirals after that. But it, it's an interesting insight. So you see the good and the bad. I mean, this is it goes back to our, our podcast the other week, right, about the, the, the wheat and the chaff, or the wheat and the weeds, right? right? It's just a mix. Even in Solomon's life, there's a great deal. of We wouldn't have the temple if it wasn't for Solomon. But then he almost, he, he actually, it's because of him, really, that the civil war that splits the kingdom in half happens. It's Solomon's punishment because mm. of his selfishness. So... It's a mess. So uh, the only, okay, all, w- all of this is to say we have this short little passage about how wise Solomon is and how blessed he is and how well-known you know, Solomon's wisdom is. But if you know what's around this, you know it's never as simple as that. Yes. And things are really not what they seem. Right. And it, he's not as great. So there's this promise of greatness and grandeur. And what happens? Well, he is great and he is grand and kings and queens from all over the world will come to visit him and pay him tribute. But that's not God blessing him. That's not the blessing God is promising because, yes, in a certain sense, he's being a light to the world and people are coming to Israel and they're in the presence of God to some degree. 
it's ultimately going to end in disaster and the kingdom being spread and darkness and sin and chaos and idolatry coming. This is Solomon not faithful to that if-then statement of God. So you look at it and you're like, oh, well, there's lots of riches and wealth and power. That must be God's blessing. But I think what the story is saying is, no, 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 that's not God's wisdom. It might look like it at face value, but it's actually not, which I throw that out because I think that relates directly to Jesus's parables in the gospel. Absolutely. Which, so. which to get there, we have to go through the second reading, which is, which is interesting because as Romans is going through, I mean, it's just, it's very simple. We know that all things work for good for those who love God. Which, that was what I was reminded of when the whole Bathsheba thing. Right. David has an affair with Bathsheba. This whole thing happens. But then... He brings he, this good out of it. Yeah, well, he's he's transformed and he yeah. actually repents. He doesn't get just caught in hard heartedness. Right. But like he he has the supreme grace of Psalm fifty one of true repentance to the prophet mm. Nathan. Yeah. Um. And so so like for, for those who are called according to his purpose. Um. And so th- this is just like super. It's super good to remember that like if your telos is right, if you actually can can say. Telos means end. If, if if you could say, I'm actually oriented towards the seventh day, towards rest with God, towards the life in Christ. If I'm if I'm oriented towards towards that, then then like we can navigate sin. We can navigate the yes, difficulties right. of things. Yep. Like like you or can rather actually, God can navigate the sin in our life and right, right. use us despite it. You know the 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 uh, you know wealth, wives, and Weapons. war horses. War. Like, like this is the thing is that, yeah, like those are not intrinsic. Well, it, it's not good to have more than one wife. No. And thank, thanks be to God. Our culture is still like not happy with that. Like <laughs> that's the one thing we still think is not okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't know yeah. why I, I don't want to know why that's so abhorrent to our culture that just is fine with every other. Yeah. Polyamory is not a, a, a no good. Mm. Polygamy is mm-hmm. even worse. Like they make TV shows to make fun of it. There was just a big lawsuit up in Idaho or something. Yeah, about this. guys like twenty-seven wives or something. That's, that's a lot of wives, dude. I just, I'm just saying, but like that's a lot of drama. Why? Because we're meant to be configured to the image of Christ's Son. Like we have to remember that what we are about <laughs> God's Son, Christ. Christ didn't have a son. What did I say? Christ's Son. Oh man. <laughs> Careful uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> if this is not deleted from the podcast, please strike from the record of one's hearts and minds. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to be conformed to the image of the Father's Son, Jesus Christ. Yes. And, the, like, that's a, that's our destiny. It's yeah. really very simple. And, it is. <clears throat> and, that, and, that, and that if we draw close, then we're going to be able to be there. Yeah. And we'll be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Despite everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Solomon Solomon still did great good. He still brought blessing to the kingdom despite his being born of the person that David had an affair with and killed his, his her husband. <laughs> and then despite the later failings in his life of when he'd spin out of control, he still God worked great good because he did love God. And I think his his heart was properly oriented at least for a while. And this is things pulled it. And this is an important point. It's not despite the circumstances, it's in the midst and through the circumstances God as uses well. Uses the circumstances. Absolutely. And that's that's one of those things that we I we cannot forget as a people. It's, was it not necessary? Yeah, exactly. That God God wants to actually take every concrete circumstance of our life and open it up and have it pour forth his grace. If we're willing to submit everything, the, like, even if we're not submitting it, he's still going to pour out his grace if, if we have eyes to see and ears yeah. to hear, if we're willing to listen. Yes. 
to listen and listen. And listen and listen, listen. and do. Yeah. yeah. Which brings us to the gospel. Um, we're still, we've been the last, what, three weeks in the midst of these parables of the kingdom. Chapter 13 is a whole, remember Matthew is an accountant. He's a tax collector, which means he's basically an accountant. So he likes to gather things and collect things and organize things, right? So he has all of the parables of the kingdom that Jesus speaks, all organized and gathered into chapter 13. There's tons of them. And uh, I was actually talking to one of the Cambodia staff who um, stumbled upon our podcast. And <laughs> and I realized there was something unclear because they were like, well, I get what you were saying last week about these things, but what is what what is the kingdom of heaven? Like, wh- what is the, why is it like... A uh, 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 unleavened lump of whatever. Why is it like a mustard seed? I don't understand. Basileia to Theu, yeah. Well, what I realized was unclear is that when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about heaven. He's not talking about the afterlife. The afterlife and God's kingdom where we go when we die is not like a big lump of unleavened dough. Right. It's not like a mustard seed. When we say the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, different gospel writers say different things. The kingdom of heaven, really what we're talking about is the church. The kingdom of heaven is God's kingdom made manifest on earth, which how is it manifest for us? It's manifest in the Catholic church, which has an albaite and a queen mother and stewards. I I stumbled upon as I was researching Solomon, as Solomon is establishing his kingdom, one of the things he does. So in Solomon's life, it's where you get the story of the queen mother and how his gabera, Bathsheba, his mom, is given a seat at his right hand. And she receives the petitions of people in the kingdom. She receives, um, you know, all these things like Mary does. He, but I, I stumbled upon that. I had it underlined like three times and I'd forgotten about it. He stations 12, uh, 12 men, 12 stewards, 12 governors essentially across the kingdom. And they are who control the kingdom of Israel. Whoa. There's the king and his 12 stewards, which I'm like, oh man, that's pretty cool. So Sol- Solomon does that? Absolutely. Whoa. So when Jesus is establishing his kingdom, I mean, there's all these things that he's, he's building literally a kingdom of David, but it is the church now. With the Pope and with the bishops and the apostles and now the priests and everything else. So when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven being like these things, he's not saying heaven is like that, strictly speaking. He's saying, no, when heaven has now touched earth and is made manifest in this way, the church is like this big lump of dough that everybody looks at the church and like, oh, you guys are a bunch of morons or whatever people think of us. Or we're a mustard seed and you guys don't have any political power. takes three measures, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it leavens everything. Boom. That's interesting. But I did want to clarify that when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, I think the best way to understand that is thinking of the church. The yes. church that he's built. Absolutely. That he gives the keys to. But that was unclear, I think, um, in some ways. Yes, I, we did not make it explicit. Those parables don't make any sense then, if you don't know that's what he's talking about. Because this fledgling little kingdom that he's building here with the apostles and everything else, it's going to look pretty ugly for a while. And it, even today, it still looks pre- like we have pretty buildings. Susie, do not vestments, talk about me like that. <laughs> you are a pretty man. <laughs> no, I'm pretty ugly is what oh, you just said. No, it is not. Come on, sucker. Come on. Okay. But you know what I mean? Yeah. And then the parables make sense because you want to think of Solomon. And this is where I think the connection is. You want to think of Solomon, who was powerful and great and had war horses and wives and these riches and jewels and storehouses for his money and his wealth. And you're like, that's a kingdom, right? But Jesus is like, no, no, no. Mine's like a treasure 
that's buried in a hole in a field. <laughs> you can't quite see it. It's not the big, beautiful palace with all the jewels on it. Right. It's a little bit more hidden. And yes, the church has beautiful buildings and beautiful cathedrals and all of these things which you can look at, but those don't actually speak fully to um, the potentiality that the church actually holds, the grace that actually is the church. Speaking of the it's pearl, it's not clear to the world. Yeah, speaking of the pearl of great price, I was oh, just um, at the this last weekend at the consecration of Andrea Polito. Oh yeah, uh, who has become a consecrated virgin yeah, in the yeah. world, and she uh, and she, the the archbishop puts a ring on her finger. Really? Yeah, I it was it was wild to see. So because it's really it's beautiful. it's like it's like the ceremony was like a mix between a. Um, a wedding and an ordination. Huh. She so she had a wedding dress on and she received Whoa. a ring, but she laid down and nose to the marble as Whoa. as uh, as you with the litany of saints as the ordination would. So it's just like cool. it was so cool. But um, on her ring, she has a pearl. She it's she said a pearl in it. Is it of great price? It is. Well, that was she said. I I want every time I want to look at my ring and remember that I have given my life for the pearl of great price. When she finds it, she goes and sells all that she has Absolutely. and buys it. She gives away all and buys it. That's right. the kingdom made manifest. Wow, that's a great image of uh, what they we're talking about. I know. I mean, it's so powerful. Wow. So then the kingdom of heaven is like a net thrown into the sea. Yeah. And collects fish of every kind. Of every kind. Which, and the boots and the, you know, which is so funny. Soda cans and everything else. Because the church is, it, a lot of people look at us and think we are pretty fishy. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, it's, I think the net is another way of explaining the weeds and the wheat. Right. But you're going to pull up all sorts of stuff. Can I get to my favorite part of this? Nope. Okay. Okay. okay, thanks for listening to the podcast today. Oh, come on. Oh, yeah, talk to me. So I'm just reading, and so all these analogies, the analogies, metaphors, whatever you want to call them, parables. He's saying, look, this it's not going to look like the grandeur of Solomon's kingdom, but it's going to be way greater than that, mm. um, which is what he's getting at here, which is the church that we exist in that is beat up by the world and sometimes it's pretty ragtag and maybe the guy next to you in the pew stinks and has a bad voice and you're just like, this doesn't feel like the kingdom of heaven, right? But it is. It's it's buried sometimes. You can't see it in its fullness, but it is a treasure. But you can in, in those who have actually been totally transformed. You like absolutely. Like that's one of the reasons why I like going up to Camp Waitiwa mm. is like over the summer you just have this like pool of people who have all given everything that they have for the pearl of great price. Right. They're like they, they want to just serve and uncover the riches of the kingdom for those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, so yes. that they may listen and and understand and do, and not merely just hear. Absolutely. So the, the ending of this, I just, I, I get a kick out of. I'll see if you get a kick out of it too. Um, <laughs> the very end of these series of parables, Jesus turns to his apostles, his boneheaded apostles, who we've, we know pretty well. And he says, do you understand all of these things? And they reply, do you remember what it says? What does it say? It says, yes. Do you ever think about what that yes sounded like? The bonehead <laughs> apostles, he just gave tons of parables. Do you understand all of these things? Yes. <laughs> like, what is their yes? Like, uh, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? You mean, well, yeah, you know, I yes, mean, like, it's, it's like, kind of, how geez. much do I actually yes. understand from what Jesus is saying? What is their tone of voice when they're like, yes, we understand <laughs> all of it? <laughs> Jesus. Total sense. Dude, Crystal clear. Dude, you know what I love is that that's a total teacher's perspective. <laughs> 
<laughs> it kind of is. Because you're, you're there and you're like, do you guys understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And they're like, yes. And, or just and, the blank stare and nods. Uh-huh. You get all of it. Peter, Peter in the back is like, yeah. <laughs> well, and the irony is we know clearly because of what happens in the next chapters, they don't get it. Yeah. The yes is not. I mean, which is I think is Matthew's little... He's not having fun with us, but he also knows. He's like, I'm going to show you that they said, yes, we understand everything. And then I'm going to demonstrate to you that they understand nothing, (laughs) which is in a certain sense, them embodying this hidden kingdom. Mm. Like, no, yeah, we get it. It's actually hidden from us. It's hidden within us Mm. because then the the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them at Pentecost, these boneheaded, not understanding guys. And what was buried deep within this treasure that was buried in their souls when Jesus breathed upon them, when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, will then unwrap that and unpack that, bring it out of the ground and make it manifest. And that mustard seed will finally grow into the tree and they will activate. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they themselves are icons of this these parables, um, which I just think is kind of cool. And I think Matthew knows he's leading you there. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm, I'm so, yeah, I just got hung up on their tone of their yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah, but then totally. they do become icons in that way. Absolutely. Because they're like, yeah, we understand. And what Jesus is getting at is, no, you don't understand. I'm mm. happy you think you do. That's great. But you're going to soon find out that what you thought you understood, you don't understand at all. Just like in Solomon's time, what we thought the kingdom was supposed to look like with grandeur and riches and warhorse and everything else, we thought we knew what a kingdom was. But then Jesus came and blew our minds open. We thought we knew as just human beings what political leaders were supposed to be like. We thought we understood what kings were. We thought we understood what a father is. We thought we understood all these things. Then Jesus came and revealed us to ourselves Mm. and revealed the truth of all of reality. And we said, oh, I recognize God's fatherhood because I recognize all the ways that I fail as a father. Right. But that truth is buried within me. I recognize Jesus' kingship mm. because I recognize my disappointment right. in our own leaders. Right. But I recognize that I want that because it's buried within me. The kingdom is now made manifest when Jesus unveils it to us. Anyway, that's why I'm taking from all these parables. Yeah, th- I think that that's actually really the, you just summarized it so profoundly. Hmm. Of, of, of everything that's taking place. I mean, it really is, how do we see the manifestation of the kingdom of, of God on earth? And it's in the midst of our sin. It's in yeah. the midst of the, the, the decisions that we make. And yet he is made manifest. And yet. And yet, exactly. And, and then he reveals who we really are in the, in, in the midst of it. And, right. and who he really is through his generosity and love and care. And, and what like, we always wanted. Right. But didn't realize that we wanted it or desired it or needed it or longed for it. I mean, that was when I fully understood the Catholic faith and kind of came back. It was more of a moment of like, this is everything I've ever wanted, but didn't realize it. Right. You know what I mean? And then you got the Pearl of Great Price because you had to unbury the treasure and buy the field and... Dig it up, baby. Dig it up and give... give Because you do have to give... You really do have to give yourself to yeah, it. And absolutely. if... But if you do, it's... Boy, howdy. Boy, howdy. Boy, howdy. God bless you all. Thanks for listening to the Lanka guys. We are the word on the hill. Or, sorry, strike that, reverse it. You Whatever. Know. Whatever Char- you want to call yeah, us. Yeah, Charlie Whatever. Bucket, man. Charlie Buckets. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.